watching Stockwatch with me, Juliette Televi, and joining me to take your stock-related questions this evening are Rowan Williams from Nitrogen Fund Managers and independent analyst Carl Hevis. If you'd like to send us questions, please SMS 41392, email stockwatch at bdtv.co.za or tweet us at businessdaytv using the hashtag stockwatch. Carl, Rowan, good evening to you both. Uh, Carl, if I may start with you this evening, not a bad day for the JSE overall today, although there were some uh, rather gut-wrenching declines once again in PGM stocks. But the RAND had a horrible day. Um, any particular reason behind the fact that we are now back above 19 to the dollar? Yeah, I mean, it's difficult to say because we, we saw obviously the, the U.S. economic data on the job side um, was an indication that Potentially, rates won't hike, or won't be, you know, won't, won't the Fed won't hike for the rest of the year. That's um, because the economy is is coming under a bit of pressure, and then we saw also the wages, um, the rate of, of wage increase also being less inflationary. So the the benefit there would have been for the rand, you know, because the the dollar would probably weaken from from that point of view. But the so I, yeah, I'm not too sure why the the um, the rand weakened today because also a bit of a risk on day. Um, the U.S. is closed today, so that might have played a role. So, yeah, no specific uh, reason that that I'm aware of, unless the Lady R report uh, caused <laughs> yeah. a bit of <laughs> caused a bit of a, a, not not easy panic, but disbelief. <laughs> well, yes, I mean, and one would uh, one would be um, it was understandable one's skepticism here. Rowan, I suppose uh, to some extent there's a there's a correlation. I don't know. I, I feel like there's an informal correlation between high levels of load shedding and rand weakness or strength, yeah. but that might just be um, uh, you know entirely unfounded view. Um, but it's clear if you see some of the company results today, South African corporates have a plethora of headwinds that they're up against, and the government doesn't make anything any easier for them. No, there has been, unfortunately, a bit of negative uh, sort of news flow really in the last week. Um, the uh, sort of fiscal deficit uh, significantly increased. It looks like uh, the tax collections are, are finally going to be below uh, forecast and undershoot. And uh, the IMF, uh, yeah, I guess reminded uh, in their sort of summary report on Friday that, uh, you know, there's some serious structural issues with the South African economy uh, around ESCOM, as you mentioned, and we do see a correlation between uh, stages and the RAND. So we sort of had a fairly benign period, I guess. It seems like stage four is also quite critical in that uh, a lot of companies have indicated they can cope with stage four. Once it goes beyond that, uh, it starts to bite into operations, productivity, and it uh, looks like we're moving into stage five. So that is quite negative. Yeah. Um, and uh, yeah, so there have been, uh, I think that just uh, sentiment, maybe we had a low liquidity day today and it sold off. Yeah, so it felt a, a little bit overdone, but uh, unfortunately, I think some of the positive news flow, yeah, is sort of uh, reversing. Yeah. Um, and. We've seen yeah, mixed results from the South African companies. Some are uh, coping well and actually benefiting potentially, and others are, are losers. So we're seeing winners and losers in this environment. Yeah, I mean, Bidvest, for example, coming out with you know cracker results. Bidvest and Bidcorp, two unbelievable companies. But going on to questions, one of the reasons for the lower tax take that we are going to have is the plunge in commodity prices, which of course has eaten severely into mining companies' um, I guess, revenues and profits this year. And one of the viewers asks, um, what needs to happen for the commodity cycle to change? Carl, yeah. any thoughts? 
Yeah. So, I mean, I think it, it, it has been quite a beneficial environment for, for tax collection. And I think the impact of the lower commodity prices will, will definitely have a, have quite a, a negative impact on, on that side. Um, and I mean, we've seen all the, all the commodity companies reporting and, and, uh, um, coming under pressure on the cost side. Firstly, they, they definitely feeling pressure on costs, but then also just on their, um, commodity prices across the board, um, really. So for, for that to turn, you, you need growth ultimately. Um, so I think in terms of the supply, it is generally, you know, there hasn't been that much capex into, um, into mining expansion. Um, so I think supplies is probably, there's no huge, you know, new um, mines coming on online across, uh, you know, most commodities. Um, but I think demand is where where the the, the, the question issues. lies. So yeah, and, and China being China and the U.S. obviously the the big players there, and uh, we've seen the U.S. potentially um, slowing down. Um, and you know, I think a recession is still on the cards. China obviously is still growing, but but at a slower rate. So I think. Those concerns are, are keeping the, the lid on, on commodity prices and probably for, for the, the, the medium term at least. Rowan, I mean, you know, we, we've been puzzling over whether or not China's in a fundamentally different place, you know, uh, to what it was 20 years ago. And I think the answer maybe is yes. So does that make a fundamental uh, s- um, structural change to demand for commodities like iron ore? Which is the key ingredient in steel, which was, uh, you know, used to build all those um, cities uh, that are empty <laughs> in China, for example. Yeah, I, I believe it does. So obviously, uh, there's been a lot of talk about a commodity super cycle and, and when it may come to an end. But uh, shifting demand patterns from China as a significant marginal consumer, as you mentioned, of uh, a lot of core commodities, uh, and it's sort of been slow coming but it's sort of been progressive it's also been somewhat interrupted by COVID obviously and that sort of uh, created major discontinuities and then there was a lot of optimism about the China reopening trade uh, at the beginning of the year that's long forgotten and I think we are seeing a sort of secular slowdown and and shift uh, and it has been happening for some years but it's becoming more pronounced for the Chinese economy away from infrastructure-led to more consumer-led uh, with growth slowing, and we've seen some excesses, excesses in their property market, and that's, uh, as you're pointing out, excess stock uh, in the market, uh, reduced demand, and people have also been disappointed by the stimulus uh, that uh, the Chinese yeah, government uh, has injected so far. So I think it all adds up to, yes, uh, declining demand. Okay, so so what would need to change that? Would you need to get another country to come into uh, the breach? I mean, and there was a lot of optimism, and I, I think there still is about copper, the demand for copper being um, a green metal and there being very low supply. So talking to Carl's point about uh, um, not much investment in supply. I, I mean, do you need to see a huge infrastructural boom in the US or India? And would that change the course of events? Carl, do you think that there are other com- uh, countries that can step into the breach or other factors that if you're going to invest in commodities, you need to pay attention to? Yeah, I think I think one can be selective amongst the, the commodities. So, for example, iron ore, obviously steel is, is the big uh, um, you know, use of, of iron ore as, as a raw material and steel is, uh, is, is in, in infrastructure. So that's where the Chinese have, have been huge consumers of, of that. And, and obviously that... Con- 
consumption will still continue, but just the growth of it that that's problematic, especially where their economy is in terms of transitioning towards more consumer driven. Um, and and where would growth come from be, besides China? You know, India. You mentioned India and potential, but I think in our lifetime, I think we the emergence of China has been sort of once in a lifetime um, event, if if even that uh, that frequent. Um, so I, th- I don't think we can expect another huge boom like that, like we saw from you know in the in the two thousands, um, from nothing to to really huge. Um, mm-hmm. So. I, I think one more has to look at more the industries and see where, as you mentioned, copper is obviously one of those that, that can benefit from the electrification, um, demand increasing through that. And I think that is a, a, a good example, um, where, where demand can come from as opposed to a specific, uh, market. I think more a specific industry. Um, but then again, one has to look at recycling because that, that can be another area of supply, especially from, from a copper point of view, um, that can, change the the whole dynamic um from a supply point of view mm. um but uh, yeah i think i think the specific commodities may be more on the consumer side that that can play a role as opposed to the uh, big infrastructure like iron ore uh, rowan anything further to add there <clears throat> well so i mean you did mention i think india is going to see significant uh, growth and it probably will become the growth engine uh, of the world, they do have significant infrastructure requirements. Um, so th- there is potential there. Some of the other emerging markets, Africa included, but that's sort of a longer term story, as, as Carl was pointing out, and not on the scale of uh, you know, the industrialization uh, of China. So, uh, and then, uh, yeah, the, the green economy, the greening, uh, also, you know, the, the extent of the demand is not as much so uh, as, as the drop from China. So, I think what you're seeing is a rebalancing of these markets, and you you, you mentioned uh, platinum. I mean, uh, yeah, a significant rebalance there in terms of supply and demand, and then the price uh, uh, is 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 adjusting accordingly. Yeah. So, and uh, then the share prices are adjusting accordingly in turn. <laughs> yes. So the, another viewer says, "Is there just no bottom to the PGMs? Can we expect them to drop a further fifty percent? Do you think that's possible?" Yeah, well, I mean, anything's possible. It, it is. But, uh, yeah, anything's possible. Yeah. Um, okay, is that yeah, it's difficult to predict the bottom? Yeah, unlikely, I think. But uh, it, it, it's difficult to to predict the bottom. I think the problem with the PGM basket, I think, not necessarily a problem, but I think the impact, the big impact, has been rhodium. Um, that's a small portion of in terms of volume, but it's actually, I mean, just where the price was and where it's come to, actually had quite a big big impact on on the basket price. Um, never mind the other uh, components coming down, but um, I think in in the PGM sector, it it has been the the industries that they service, so the um, the catalytic converters. So with the transition away from from combustion engines, I think that is is a threat um, to that that entire market. Mm. Rowan, do you think? Um uh, yeah, where where are you on what further on what might transpire in the PGM sector? Yeah, so I mean, they still remain profitable at these levels uh, where you have seen yeah, significant uh, input price reduction. Um, so it does look like they're getting more to realistic or reasonable valuations uh, down here. I mean, we have seen a, yeah, a 50% plus sort of uh, drop in, in share prices. And uh, that takes into account uh, their current cost structures and uh, uh, sort of current uh, PGM basket uh, prices, as Cole was mentioning. So I think we are closer to more reasonable levels and closer 
to 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 the bottom. You do have to look in, in uh, operationally. For example, Northern were quite clever with their, their sort of corporate trading. They ended up issuing shares at a very high price, even though they bought uh, RB Platts <laughs> shares with them. But then they got in Platts shares and they sold those. So they've actually got quite a lot of capital. Yeah. Um, where in Platts have overpaid for RB Platts and they, they sort of kept left carrying the can. So yeah. there's quite a lot of differences you have to go through. Um, and uh, then there are some other commodities uh, in uh, some of the uh, miners have got chrome in their basket, for example. That's becoming a bigger part of it. So you do have to look more closely, and uh, I think some are better quality than others. Yeah. It's quite commodity-centric this evening. And another viewer sends us a question saying, geez, I've since sold off my single commodity counters. His, the title of his email was PGMs, um, and reinvested the pittance into BHP and Anglo-American. But I'm still bullish on coal. So my question to the panel is, how do the oil and coal investment case differ to that of the PGM baskets. Um, okay, well, uh, I, I, um, Carl, do you want to take a stab at that first? <laughs> yeah, I mean, so, I mean, coal, I can't really say too much. I mean, the, the price has come back quite a lot. Uh, obviously, it was quite elevated during uh, the whole initial crisis of the, the Ukraine war. Um, but I think there's still a place for, for coal in terms of uh, the demand and, and supply will, will obviously come under pressure i think so that's where the longer term coal environment because you won't get more you'll get limited investment uh, into into new coal um, opportunities or at least uh, um supply so i think that that might play into the hands of of the coal price on the oil side i'm actually quite quite bullish on the on the oil price obviously it does require economic growth but i think the the market as a whole um has sort of uh, decided Oil is not uh, the demand for oil will come down, but I think it'll it'll actually stay quite high for quite a, quite some time. And obviously, the transition in terms of energy um, moving towards green energy will will take a long time. But uh, the the bottom line is supply from an oil point of view. Um, again, capex has been has been constrained over over the last few years, um, and oil assets generally deplete pretty quickly. So it's not like a twenty year life of mine um for for mine oil oil wells don't don't last that long so i think that exploration and, and reinvestment is is a bit uh, behind so i think that'll support um support the oil price and similar opec also they they need a a high oil price to to um for their budgets to to make sense so in in saudi and so on so i think the oil price at the, at these levels probably still has um legs to to go up i don't know how long it it'll be volatile but i think uh, there is a a case for for oil and and coal in the same in the same breath because in a way um i'm thinking that you could lump pgm's oil and coal into the same basket of undesirables if you think about the push to battery electric vehicles or green energy i mean these are all kind of in the dark ages of commodities yeah. you know um so the pgms need uh, they need combustion engines uh, for auto catalyst you know catalytic converters oil uh, requires combustion engines um and coal requires well well you know demand for coal indicates that we wouldn't be moving away into uh, green energy so i kind of feel like are they not all subject to maybe the same drivers? I mean, Carl, you obviously feel not. Rowan, you're shaking your head. Um, is it, mm, uh, no, is it think, more nuanced uh, than that? 
Yeah, certainly. I think what you're seeing is uh, at the margin, um, as you mentioned, the catalytic converters are significantly bigger portion of uh, demand for PGMs compared to, say, uh, electric vehicles for coal. Um, coal-fired plants uh, fire all our electricity needs. Um, well, uh, those that, you know, for example, in South Africa. Um, and uh, the impact of, yeah, I guess, electric vehicles in terms of actual electricity consumption, it's actually increases electricity consumption and, and demand. So it may actually increase the demand for, for coal. Uh, perversely, um, yeah, okay. so uh, there's the quite different demand dynamics, uh, I think. Uh, and uh, in terms of fossil fuels, coal and oil, the world is very much reliant on those, and there are innumerable reasons why we won't be able to move off those in the next 20 years. So I think a lot of there's been a lot of hype around fossil fuels, but they have to stay. But as you say, it's a dirty word. So constra- constrained supply. Um, as people move to ESG and sort of funding gets tighter with consistent demand or maybe increasing demand certainly actually sounds like a bull case for, for mm. fossil fuels and we quite bullish on coal in particular. Yeah, the great irony of our times, um, uh, as it turns out. Okay, so getting away from commodities, there's a question from a, a viewer on NASPAS and process, and he says, that, can the panel please explain the process and NASPAS sends issued earlier today in simple terms? What does this mean for me as a shareholder? Does the consolidation mean more shares are heading my way while I'm being overly optimistic? Um, Carl, uh, I wouldn't have thought yeah. so, not more shares, right? <laughs> Yeah, no, I think uh, it's. If I'm not, I haven't actually read the sense, but I think it's just the reorganisation of their their structure. If I'm not uh, um, mistaken, so um, I don't know. Maybe Rowan, you can you can add more flavour before I go in the wrong direction here. <laughs> yeah, I have to confess, I, it's it's the one sense statement that I didn't read today. Um, <laughs> Rowan, is it just a confirmation of of the, the yes. consolidation? That's correct, yeah. Uh, Finalisation announcement in respect of the corporate restructuring and reorganisation. So um, what they're doing is they're eliminating the cross-shareholding between NASPERS and PROCESS. And in order to do that, they are firstly issuing a massive number of shares to dilute uh, the cross-shareholdings. Then they um, can uh, dispose of the small resultant shareholding uh, that... uh, I think process owns in NASPERS, um, and then uh, and then they, they um, basically consolidate the shares again. So the number of shares in issues does actually change, but the shareholders owned by the free float shareholders, shall I say, those are the sort of non-process NASPERS shareholders remain the same. So uh, the you, most well, all public shareholders are really free float shareholders. So their shares uh, can't won't change, um, but it is a lot more of an elegant structure. Eliminates the cross shareholding, which I think a lot of investors did not like. Was very complicated, required quite a lot of sort of governance, mm-hmm. and uh, is is a clear structure in terms of owning owning the underlying assets. And it's just another step in the path, I think, to simplifying the overall structure and looking ultimately to to um, unlock the discount. So it's a three to five year plan, but they well on I believe well on track to to achieving uh, their their end target and end goals. Yeah, I noticed on the Bloomberg terminal the other day the NASPAS um, uh, a share price targets. Uh, and both NASPAS and Process overwhelmingly have buy recommendations on them. Do you think those are still valid? Because you had seen a huge increase in the NASPAS and Process share price this uh, this year. 
uh, and you kind of almost thought at at what point is it done? I mean, Carl, do you think those buy recommendations are um, something to hang your hats onto still? Yeah, I think I think they've been buy recommendations for quite a number of years. Yes, on, in on fact, all stocks, the way down. Okay, so all the way yeah. <laughs> the Nasdaq and process shares <laughs> fell. There were still buy recommendations on. on it's the a, yeah, it's always a buy recommendation, just marginally above the <laughs> the share price. Um, but I, I think the the discount to to Tencent has has reduced a bit. But I, think, I mean, I would still uh, be optimistic on 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 those. Um, on Nasdaq and process, even though they've they've done quite well, um, I think you know the growth in, in the underlying is still is still there. It's not not as high as it used to be, um, but I think Tencent still has potential. Um, it is reasonably priced at, at this point, so I think an entry via Nasdaq or process is not a not a bad option. Mm. Rowan, you're nodding, and do you have a particular favourite, Nasdaq or mm. process? Yeah, so yeah, I mean, they actually have converged uh, quite significantly. There was quite a big gap where I think Nasdaq traded at a bigger discount uh, than than Process did. That is still the case, but it does look like um, sort of a contingent tax liability in terms of capital gains tax sits inside Nasdaq, and that explains the sort of roughly ten percent discount uh, between Nasdaq and Process. Um, so I think that is fair. So somewhat ambivalent at this point between the two um, but i do believe addressing the discount the share buybacks are significantly nav accretive so not even if the discount didn't narrow because the nav is going up through the, the buybacks uh, the share price should go up but there should be a double whammy in terms of nav accretion plus uh, discount narrowing which would should give you a, a good um, return over the next five years Coupled with, I believe, yeah, I agree with with Carl. The, the underlying assets are still decent, reasonably valued. So you get sort of reasonable assets or good assets at a at a discount, uh, with with a plan to eliminate the discount. Okay. And there's a question from viewer on Vestic who asked about, um, he says, how profitable is the deal with RAR beans expected to be for Investec? So I just thought, have I missed this? Uh, I've Googled it, and I think um, it was sent from an iPhone, right. so it's Rathbones, <laughs> which is right. the wealth manager in the UK. Um, uh, Carl, is, do, I mean, Investec has had a really st- stunning turnaround, actually, from, from the dark days when everyone wondered where on earth it was going. Do you think it's, 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 a, it's a good deal for them, and, and will it contribute significantly? Yeah, I mean, I think it's in, in that industry. I think consolidation is is probably going to happen, and this is an example. I mean, uh, I think Quilter, for example, probably also potentially there for for the taking. Um, uh, I think scale is is what they're working towards, and and I think owning a, a smaller share of a bigger a wealth manager, I think, made sense for for Investec. Um, they're probably a bit subscale um, in that market, so. I think it, it's positive. I mean, it's not going to be a game changer for them, but I okay. think uh, it's certainly better than, than remaining small and owning the entire thing. Okay. Rowan, uh, I don't know if you have a burning, uh, uh, anything you'd like to add there, but uh, if not, maybe I'd rather get to stock uh, picks because um, we are running out of time. So uh, what would you be your share, share pick tonight, unless you want to have an investor comment? No, so I think that uh, just it's related somewhat to, to Investec in the wealth management space uh, more broadly, but uh, Alexander Forbes, so they're in the, the, the financial wellness and uh, employee management space. They've also done a lot in terms of uh, reorganizing their portfolio. And the CEO, Davi de Villiers, uh, sold some assets to 
Sunlam bought some assets from Sunlam. They're a much more focused business. Uh, got some core shareholders, and I think they are uh, just rationalizing, optimizing, and looks like they have a good earnings trajectory for the next two to three years. So it's been a bit of an ignored stock, but mm. um, it has moved actually recently, but is still looking quite attractive on a medium term outlook. Okay. Yeah. One of the, the more boring companies in the JSE adventure, but, uh, <laughs> but not boring if you get a good return. Uh, Carl, how about you? Yeah. So. Are probably more exciting in terms of, of growth, uh, but, uh, but a lot more expensive. I have to qualify it uh, from that point of view. So uh, Fair Isaac uh, Corp, which uh, so FICO or, uh, trades in, in the New York Stock Exchange, it's uh, one of the globally leading um, analytics software companies. Um, the big data theme, artificial intelligence playing, playing a role. But they, they came from a sort of credit scoring um, business providing that service to to banks and financial institutions, but they've they've built uh, also quite a big uh, software uh, business. So um, serving all industries from an analytics point of view, the share price has doubled over the last twelve months. So it, it has run quite hard. Mm. Um, but what I do like about it, firstly, the returns are, are exceptional. Um, they do have pricing power because they get quite entrenched with their their clients. So switching costs are, are quite significant, and they. They dominate, uh, you know, their, their markets where they, they operate. Um, and yeah, so from a quality point of view, it's all there. Obviously, valuation becomes a, a bit questionable, mm. um, but it, it's always traded at a very high PE and it's trading back at sort of the, the mid 30, early 40 uh, times PE, which is what the average uh, historic um, PE has been. Okay. But I think the, the growth will come through. So I think it's, it's quite predictable from that point of view. Yeah. A PE most South African stocks could only salivate over. Yeah. Um, Rowan, <laughs> uh, Carl, we'll leave it there. Thanks very much for joining us this evening. Uh, Rowan Williams is from Nitrogen Fund Managers and Carl Kievis is an independent analyst. And coming up, the close. Stay with us. <laughs> Thank you.